0: Support for Podcast By Night comes from Midnight Syndicate. To find out more about their gothic horror instrumental music, please visit midnightsyndicate.com. Welcome back to Podcast By Night. I am John Long.
1: I'm Jennifer Wolfe.
0: And here we are once again exploring the wonderful world of darkness, in particular the Vampire the Masquerade role-playing game. Uh, we're in a different space right now doing this recording, so we apologize if there are any strange sounds going on.
1: John has weird neighbors.
0: I do. They like to garden on the day of rest. Go figure.
1: Well, that, and you live near the airport.
0: Well, hey, you know what? I'm okay with that because it's Burbank instead of LAX.
1: That's very true. Very
0: true. On this episode, this should be episode number four, we have a special guest with us. This is the beginning of our segment we call ST Corner, or Storyteller's Corner. Woohoo. And introduce yourself, please. Hello, my name is Michael Steinbach. I'm a storyteller for the Pillars of Salt
2: Vampire the Masquerade LARP here in Los Angeles. I'm happy to be here, guys. Oh,
0: Woo-hoo! great to have you. Happy to have you. Today we're gonna to be talking about as we've you know, as you guys have know, we are going along the lines of you're a newbie. You just walked into the venue and what do you do?
1: Someone hands me a character sheet, and oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god.
0: Yes, dreaded character sheet. It's not as scary as it might seem, but it can be daunting. So Michael's here. Um, what are all these numbers about? Exactly. He's gonna help us navigate this.
1: Um, what, what's this clan mean?
0: Why do I have these dots? What are these dots for?
1: Oh my gosh. Am I supposed to be like really old or something?
0: So we're going to help navigate you through that and uh, kind of give you a signpost, guidepost compass for which you will totally look at this character sheet and not be afraid.
1: Well, a little less afraid.
0: Be afraid. Be very, very afraid. That's true. You could be uh, nom-noms for some other character. You never know. Okay, so Jen, why don't you start us off? What is a character sheet?
1: Well, for those of you who uh, have never, ever played any video games or role-playing games ever before in your life, a character sheet is really just a set of numbers and dots that kind of represent all the cool things that your character can do. For those of you who have video game experience, this isn't terribly unlike the stats you have as a video game character and it's basically the same idea it is a numeric valuation of all the spiffy things about your character and sometimes not so spiffy things
2: right i i like to when i'm talking with new players really go in and talk to them and say that the character sheet are the mechanics of what's happening uh, all of the role play that will come from your character, how you personally say hello, your personal backstory, all that jazz. That that's the story. That's the role play. That's the RP. The character sheet is all of the the mechanics. It, it's the specifically specific numbers that when you actually say, "Oh, I want to," you know, use dominate to control your mind and do the whole look into my eyes. I will tell you what to do. The, I want to use that the Character sheet. The, the character sheet gives you the mechanical ability to do that, but all the role play comes from how you feel and how your character wants to move.
0: Oh, so it's like a framework from which to build the character off of.
2: Exactly. It gives you that ability to go, oh, I am really good at X or I'm really good at Y or I'm really bad at this other thing. And how do I want to play to my strengths and how do I want to try to hide my weaknesses from my enemies so that they don't come and attack me?
0: Oh, excellent. Great advice. Okay. So let's see here. In the uh, Vampire the Masquerade, there are two forms of game available to players. You got tabletop and LARP. Tabletop is the Standard, almost board game-like. You sit around a table with friends. You've got your dice, your Cheetos, and you sort of just cactus roll it cooler. out. Cactus cooler. Cactus C- cooler. Got word to the cactus cooler.
2: I mean, I don't know about you. My friends are super healthy. We have, like, bowls of kale around. What? That's because it's NBA. L.A. Yeah. God, L.A. Yes. gamers.
1: I love kale, so don't knock it.
0: No, no, no. 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 I'm a We've good got...
1: Midwestern girl, and I <laughs> like my The kale. kale
0: chips with the LaCroix water, We we get it. Uh, And then what we currently are um, focusing on, the LARP version.
1: So what is LARP again, John?
0: Live action role playing. Yep.
1: So for those of you who hear LARP and you're like, what is that? Or you get visions of people running around with foam weapons. That is a a version. That is a version of LARP. Uh, In Vampire, the LARP system is different mostly because we're not playing in a fantasy system so there's far fewer knights and foam weapons but it's also by far i think the more popular of the two systems that they use for playing vampire uh you still can play it on tabletop that's great we all appreciate it we like playing tabletop but larp is probably going to be the most common form of the game you'll run across if you're interested in playing vampire
0: Uh, In this game, the framework as we talk about and the system as they have in place really lends itself to helping the improvisational theater aspect of the game come through.
2: Absolutely. In a a tabletop, you're almost a little more locked in. You have dice rolls that are going to happen, uh, usually D10s for a vampire system, uh, which are 10-sided dice as opposed to the standard 6-sided dice that you'd see in like craps and things like that. But in a LARP, when you're actually getting there and you're standing there and your character is talking to another character, so much more uh, variability can come in as how you're actually talking to that person. So instead of, uh, if you are, in fact, like I said earlier, uh, going to use a, a dominate power and looking through my eyes, um, instead of rolling a bunch of dice and like interrupting the flow of the conversation to, all right, let me pull out everything in my pocket, da-da-da, you you have a, a much different testing system in a LARP that allows the, the flow to happen a little faster, a little easier than the
0: interruption of rolling dice. Right, and that system is, oddly enough, Rochambeau.
1: Yep, rock, paper, scissors. Rock,
0: paper, scissors. It's quick, it's easy, and it does the job.
1: Yes, there is no Spock. There is no, what's the other ones? in there? Lizard. Lizard Spock. Yeah. Yep. There is no lizard, there is no Spock. There is just rock, paper, scissors. That's
0: right. Yeah,
2: simple, keep it simple. Let's see. We had Cage when I was growing up as well, and Grenade. I think was one bomb. of them, which was a, a bomb. It was the yeah.
1: bomb. Yeah. yeah, We don't have the bomb anymore. But so here's the thing with the Rochambeau testing. When you have dice tests, uh, it's pretty easy. You you roll some dice. The storyteller rolls some, rolls some dice. She compares numbers, and whoever comes up with the best numbers is the winner in that in that particular test.
2: Yeah, you have to deal with the number of successes and the number of successes that I have versus the number of failures that I have versus the number of successes you have and the number of failures you have. Very
1: statistical. (sighs) Right. But when you're playing Rochambeau, then you have to decide a different way of winning. Obviously, with the rock, paper, scissors, it is, you know, rock beats scissors, paper beats rock. Um, But what happens when you tie? I throw a rock and you throw a rock.
2: That's actually really simple. You just there's there's a balance of again in the mechanics in that framework in that character sheet there are test pools and they're generally so when you tie when when you and I throw but we both throw rock then you start getting into that framework again that little bit of mechanic from your character sheet you would compare test pools which sounds like it's a complicated thing but it's really pretty easy. For example, if I'm going to throw a punch at you I'm going to use my physical pool, and I'm going to use my brawl pool, which is my ability to throw a punch, and I'm going to add those two numbers together, and let's say I come up with 10, and since you're probably not going to want to be punched, you're going to use your physical pool and your dodge pool to try to dodge out of the way of my fist. So you, take your, you take your physical plus dodge, and I take my physical plus brawl, and we compare those numbers. So... If I were to throw paper and you throw rock and I'm trying to punch you, I win. If we both throw scissors and my brawl plus physical is 10 and your, bra- and your physical plus dodge is 9, I'm successful and I punch you. But if your dodge is 11 and my brawl is only 10, you dodge out of that way. So it, it, it becomes a little bit more about the mechanics at that point but it's re- it's usually you're adding like a number between 1 and 10 to another number between 1 and 5. It's really simple math.
1: I like simple math because guess what? I'm an idiot at math. Many people are idiots at math. So the less math I have to do in a game, the happier I am as a player.
0: All right. Well, before we just, you know, start describing what those attributes are, why don't we start at the top of the sheet?
1: The yes. basics. Sorry, I-
2: I I jumped ahead a little bit there.
0: No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Believe me. You couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better myself, so there you go. can't be on this
1: podcast anymore, Michael. Oh, my God. No, no. We need him.
0: No, I'm kidding. All right. So you just walk into the game. You're handed this character sheet. Let's start from the top. What's first?
1: Well, the first things you're going to see on most standard character sheets is you have a character name and you have a clan. Oh, my gosh. So everyone in the game is going to have a clan, and we've already discussed clans a little bit. Clans are the bloodlines of vampires, shall we say, the the vampires that all share common characteristics and common powers and common goals, more or less, and you will belong to one of these clans, and in future episodes, we're actually going to be going through each of the clans one by one, so you'll be able to learn a little bit more about each one, but that's important to know because your clan is going to be your most basic unit of who in the world do I know and how do I relate to this world?
0: Right. It's the first thing that comes to mind when you look at this and say, like you said, how do I relate to this world? Where do I fit in? What's my place? It's a starting point for you to walk in on. Exactly. And... Also, generally, most
2: of the clans are fairly friendly and connect well with each other, so if you walk in and you're a, a Toreador, you can look around and you can see other Toridors and go, oh, I'm going to go hang out with, with those people. It, it gives you that extra bit of almost that initial put-your-foot-in-the-door benefit of these people have at least some of the same drives that I do. right.
1: So right after that usually on a sh- typical sheet you're going to see this word archetype. What now, is an archetype? If you're a psychology major, you already know all about archetypes, but most of us have only got past basic psych. If yeah,
0: we'd all we all don't know who Jung is. So
1: You know who Jung is, obviously. <laughs>
0: obviously, but for those who don't, Michael, what what's arch- archetype? The archetype is a basic
2: idea or drive or that that initial instinct perhaps on on the character if the character archetype was perhaps a a judge i've seen that a couple times on on some character sheets they have that they have a drive to really kind of set right and wrong and if this is a person has failed or done the wrong thing you judge them harshly or perhaps you judge them favorably depending on how you the rest of your character feels about it other archetypes just give you in idea, a, a position, and it really helps, honestly, for role roleplay. There, there are some mechanical things that you can do with your archetype and, and massage, but it really helps for that initial character creation when you are looking at, oh, I'm a Toreador who is a bon vivant. I, I'm, I'm, you know, when someone out there and I, I really want to live that artist bohemian style... Uh, If you are, however, a toriador that is a type A personality, as a character I once played had, they might be a little more like, we have to get the project done, we have to get to the end of the art, and it just still all about art, which is a a bloodline trait, but it's still a, a, it, it involves that individual and how they react to the world and their perspective.
1: It is basically an easy way just to define a personality. And every vampire is going to have a common archetype, but how they define that archetype may be different. So a type A personality for you, the Toreador, may be different than the type A personality for the Venturer over there or the Bruja or the, the Tremere. You all have that archetype, but it comes out in different ways. It doesn't have to be one standard way.
0: So that's fantastic. So as a player, you already have three things that inform your character and how you're going to play that. You've got the name, which, you know, some people have difficult time coming up with. You have your clan, which is like your microculture and your archetype for how you act, how people perceive your actions.
1: You also on your sheet will see this little number known as generation now. This is a tricky number for many people because they're like, what in the world in, is does generation mean? Like, what?
2: And some of the math can be backwards and forwards, too, which makes it also a little weird. Because yeah. people will talk about how many dots you have in generation, but then there's the level of generation. The, the, this is truly one of the more unusual uh, elements of all this. And if you understand this, you'll be able to understand the rest of the sheet really easily.
1: Yeah. Basically, to put it in a nutshell we've discussed previously this whole idea of progenitors and people and how people rank in terms of their potency of their blood. This is basically an easy way to rank how potent of a vampire you are. The lower the number is, the more potent you are. And the higher the number is, the less potent you are. And it, it affects a lot of things on the sheet. Like how, how, how much of anything you can learn, how many? How much time you've had to put into things like creating influences in the world around you. It, it, th- there's a lot of things that are affected by it.
0: Right. And next down we have title, which is something that...
1: Well, the more we have... Um...
0: I, actually, can I can I go... Just one other thing in generation that I, I'd
2: like to talk about. The, the thing that truly makes it tricky is the lower your overall generation generally the more potent you are. However, you get lower generation uh, a lower generation point by buying more dots in generation. So it makes it just a little bit tricky to understand. If you have one dot in generation you are a a neonate in the game. You are an 11th generation vampire. However, if you have five dots in generation you are a 6th generation vampire. So it's sort of it, for every dot that you have, you step up a point or a point or two from that original starting number. So you can have five dots in generation, be a sixth generation vampire, and be a extremely potent. However, if you have one dot in generation, you're an eleventh generation vampire. So it just it it's kind of that backwards math.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not very clean on the sheets. It's it, The mechanic itself is very confusing. And as a new player, if you're walking in the door going, wait, what? I mean, one of the things we all emphasize, especially with uh, Pillars of Salt, which is the game that Michael is a storyteller for and we're all affiliated with, is if you're a new person and you walk in the door and you're like, I have no idea what's going on right now, don't be afraid to ask.
2: Absolutely. That's, that's why the storytellers are there. Is When the player has a question, we're, we're there to, to help jump in, to be as unbiased as possible, to say, oh, yes, you, you have a question about X, here's the answer Y, and letting then the player go on and continue
0: their character journey. Fantastic. All right, the next two items that are on the character sheet uh, kind of go hand in hand. We have group or sect, sect. and title. Now, sect is something, and titles, actually, are something we're going to get into in the next episode of Podcast by Night. That just is your affiliation of, the, in Vampire Society, there are different groups that have different ideologies, and this one just denotes which one you belong to.
1: It's the clique you hang out with. It's all the cool kids.
0: Or not. It's the political
2: entity that you exist in. Thank you, Michael. Sorry, I had to bring politics into this. No, no, beautiful,
0: beautiful. That's... I
1: like Mean Girls. I, I think David. that's a much more accurate <laughs> portrayal right there. Right, oh, Are you
0: sure that's it? I mean, Camarilla is politics. Sabah could be Mean Girls.
1: Oh, Camarilla is totally Mean Girls. Totally
0: Mean Well, there you go.
1: I was a high school teenager, you know. Yeah, we're, once all, we're all I plastics
0: know. and others It's okay. And then title is your rank in that sect or group? Yes. To a uh, to degree, you generally
2: in a particular city, there is the prince, and that is the highest title in that city. The, the prince is the one who has a lot of the final say, can create their own curiosities, their own specific rules for that city.
1: We'll be getting into the prince in the next episode. No, two episodes. In the next couple of episodes.
2: Don't worry, we'll get there but then each clan can have some of its own ranks. The different, the different ranks have different titles. Some clans don't really care about your other clan rank. It, 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 can be a, it can be a whole political game in of itself just figuring out what other people's ranks are.
0: Yes, welcome to the Mad Mad Knights. Okay, so uh, moving on, we've got...
1: So, well, well oh, that, I was just going to do a transition. Of, we've now gotten through most all the most basic stuff. You've walked in the door. You have had a glance at your character sheet. You know your name? You know your clan, you know your generation, you know all this basic information. You can go up and introduce yourself. But now you're looking at down your sheet and you come up to this thing called attributes.
0: Now attributes, this is going to feed into what Michael was talking about with the testing and those pesky dots. So uh, let's go down that uh, the attribute list there.
1: Well, first of all, um, attributes they represent pretty much three major areas that most everybody has you either have socials physicals or mentals
2: other gaming systems like D and D is very popular very well known they have six basic stats world of darkness wanted to pull this in make it a little easier and they only based it off of physical socials and mentals
1: and pretty much each of those is pretty is exactly what what you the think label it would says be? On, yeah, it's what the label says on the tin. Physicals is all about the physical things you do, like running or punching or dodging or.
0: Right, and social is, you know, all the shallow things, like how pretty am I? How charming am I? Hey, I resemble those remarks. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I understand. You're very handsome. <laughs>
2: And the the mental has to do with how smart you are, how much of a book learner, perhaps how mentally manipulative, how how into planning you are.
1: Most of my characters have high mentals. I'm just throwing that out there.
2: Uh Uh-huh, says the PhD student.
0: (laughs) Hey, never underestimate wits and cunning. I'm just saying. And then along with those physical, mentals, and socials attributes, we have focuses. Now, what are focuses?
2: Focuses are the extra piece that your your character truly has delved into for example, a, a toreador who was a performer themselves would probably have very high socials and their specific focus would be uh, perhaps on appearance or charisma because they they themselves have trained into such a performer in such a way. Whereas a physical person might be a little more dexterous, they're, they're perhaps a, they, had a, they were a dancer in the background, or they could be the strong man, so the strength will be their focus. And these play into, and we'll talk about this a little further down, they play into the disciplines, the powers that each vampire has as well. So they can give a person perhaps a little bit of an edge in a, a test against someone
1: else. So in terms of your attributes, you are assigned numbers to each of these. And in the world of Darkness system and in Vampire, the base for each of the attributes is going to be 753. So 7 is going to be the area where you have the highest attributes while 3 is going to be the area you have the lowest attributes. So say you're that dancer. You may have a high social and a high physical or high physical and high social, depending on how what kind of dancing you're doing, your mental may be the low one. Dance fighting, dance fighting, I still totally want to do that. Yeah, I have been watching the Marvel movies. It's all about Natasha Romanoff.
2: That's right. Oh, see, I was going dance fighting like they used to do, as described in the Romance of the Three Kingdoms novel of ancient Chinese history at the fall of the Han Empire, where they would do women would do sword dancing. And okay,
0: yeah, that, that's me nerding out wow
1: Chinese history that's
0: awesome though no I was totally thinking about 80s 80s movies but anyway moving on
1: so yeah when you get your sheet uh normally you will have one area that will be your highest and and your area that you are perhaps the best in
0: now just to give a visual what when you say 753 and attribute rating what is what does that look like what is that on the sheet? So on the character sheet, uh, if you're looking especially at the the basic
2: character sheet at the back of the book, after each of these attributes, there are a long string of dots. As you're building your character, you're going to fill in these dots with with various uh, uh, skills, and that's where you're going to have three dots in your low, you're going to have five dots in your medium, and seven dots in your high. So it's also really easy visually to just be able to see, oh, I have seven mental and three physical, so I know that this character is going to be a really smart character. Excellent.
1: And each of these attributes can be, as you go along, added to. Uh, the game has what's called XP. And XP can be used to buy more things on your sheet, attributes included. But there is a cap to your attributes. You can't buy all the attributes in the world.
2: Oh, but I wanted to be 45 mental and be super smart. No munchkin. Now, no munchkin. Bad
0: munchkin. You cannot
1: have a big brain. I'm sorry. But you can cap out your all of your attributes your attribute caps all depend on your generation some characters are going to only be able to get 10 in anything while other characters may be able to go a little higher depending on how old and powerful they are
2: i was fortunate one time i got to play a character super high mentals he was five dots in generation he had a 15 mental as his starting
1: i played a character. it was fantastic i I played a character it was pretty close not quite that close but pretty close when your character is doing any special actions, whether they're punching something or they're trying to charm someone or they're trying to cast a spell, you're going to rely on these attributes. These create the pool that Michael was talking about in order to do anything special with your character. So if you are wanting to punch another character, you would use the physicals as your base pool. Plus, what other ever other extra things you're adding into that pool to be able to do the action?
0: Yeah, that's where the Rush and comes in we spoke of.
1: Yeah. So you would use that as your base pool. Often you test against the storyteller or another character, and then you see who wins.
0: Yeah, and speaking of those additions to the basic attributes, that'll bring us down to abilities. Dun da da. da. Dun, da, da, da. Now, as the name implies, these are the skills or talents that your character possesses, such as, as Michael said, brawl. Uh, There is also computer, drive, security, anything that you could possibly think of that your character would need to be skilled at or has a raw talent for is in this category.
1: Exactly. So if you were, say, a dancer like Michael suggested, you would probably have a performance ability. You would be able to dance. Right,
2: and if you were a painter, you might have a craft ability. If you were the getaway driver, your drive skill is going to be pretty high. There's also things like subterfuge and streetwise, which actually can give you some fun little benefits in-game as you read those particular sections. But knowing, again, how good you are at a thing, it's generally on either zero dots to five dots. Some some characters, if you, with shenanigans, you can go six or seven or even eight dots. But generally, you're just going to be at a number between zero and five. The higher the number, the better you are at the thing.
1: And I should stress this. If there is something you want to do, you really need to have an ability to do it. Don't just assume your character can just drive a car, because if you don't have that dot and drive, you may not be able to operate a car that well. If you hear other characters in games speaking another language, you're not just going to know what they're saying unless you actually have the linguistic ability to understand it too. If there's ancient myths that need to be known about or knowledge about werewolves, All of that requires a special ability to be able to do that thing.
0: Now, as we saw in attributes, the level of dots or ranking, I guess, in that particular skill, physical, what have you, uh, translates here too. What what do those levels mean with the abilities? So again, you're going to go from zero to five.
2: Zero means you really have no skill. If you think about, let's say there was a 500-year-old vampire and you handed them an iPhone and they had never seen it before, they would have no idea what the heck this thing that lights up when they shake it is. But if you are perhaps maybe... a uh, Five, you, let's say you just became a vampire five years ago, and you were already a really tech-savvy person when you were mortal, you might have a really high computer skill, which would allow you to you know, fully use the phone. Maybe even if your computer skill was four or five, you could start getting into computer hacking. Um, and in, in addition to those skills, sometimes they actually play with your disciplines. And again, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I'm sorry. The, the disciplines, the powers that you might have, because there is a stealth skill. And if you are a vampire that has the obfuscate power where you can actually start cloaking yourself in shadow, that stealth skill helps your
0: ability to hide. So you're saying that the level in the ability, the amount of dots you have is not necessarily like say that you have one or two languages. You could be a master at that one language. You,
2: normally with languages, you'll have more than, you'll have more than one. For every dot that you have, you have an additional language. Like, you have one dot, perhaps you know basic English and French. By the time you get to five dots, you might know French and Spanish and Portuguese and Latin and Ukrainian. There are extra things that can actually get you even more languages than that if you go down that rabbit hole and really want to be a true linguist.
0: Okay, then let's go on the uh, the computer knowledge then. Level one, you just know how to use one.
2: Right. They're like, oh, look, email. I can occasionally send pictures. Okay, so like level two. Cat
1: videos. Cat videos. (laughs) Level
2: two is much more, oh, I'm, I'm on Facebook a lot. Maybe I've got a social media presence, which is dangerous to have as a vampire. Um, But you you have the ability to go beyond just, oh, point and click. Now you're using mail merge on Word. You're you're using uh, Excel to actually calculate out long formulas because you actually know that, oh, you can do formulas in cells. Uh, computers three would be a little more like, okay, you are the it support you, you really know what's going on. You can find ways to fix things. Once you start getting into four and five, you can get into actually like computer hacking, trying to break into a bank to get bank records, trying to hack the NSA or the FBI don't recommend doing those things again as a vampire but you you have now that ability that greater the you know greater than average greater than
0: even exceptional ability to do the thing oh great so that's just then and that's kind of across the board with each ability the level of the dots equals your aptitude right and and some abilities are like languages for every
2: dot you gain an extra language academics that's you know for every dot you have an extra degree but it generally also goes to you know if you're a character that has 5 dots in academics and you know a bunch of stuff about chemistry and biochem and you know other related fields to, fields to that Anytime anyone has a question, you can go, oh, I probably know something about that. And then your character can actually uh, work with some of that extra information.
0: Great. Now, Jen, just like with the attributes, you said that we had like a 753 starting. Is there something like that with the abilities?
1: So with abilities, as a character is created, you actually have a certain amount of numbers of dots you can give away. It's a little confusing, but when you're doing a character build... You usually start with one ability that's at level four, two abilities at level three, three abilities at level two, and four abilities at level one.
2: Which is a nice, easy progression. You know, there's one at level four, there's two at three, there's three at two, there's four at one, and...
1: And usually you'll go, you're will you going to make four the one ability that you know your ca- character is absolutely going to need. So let's say you're playing a character who is more on the magic y side. You'll want to have a four in occult, but another character is playing um, that dancer. That dancer, you may want performance for. Exactly. The thing with abilities is that there are some common abilities that pretty much everybody's going to have, or at least everybody can have access to. So things like drive, or computers, or stealth, or security, or or subterfuge, or leadership. These are uh, are going to be common ones that people are going to be able to have access to just from their, their backgrounds. But the And these we call our primary abilities. They're pretty universal across the board. But then there's this concept called secondary abilities. So what is that, Michael?
2: Secondary abilities are where your character has really, truly wanted to specialize in something. For example, if you are a Ventrue and you have lots of money flying around, you might want to take the secondary ability of finance or economics that allow you to do extra things with money and make it harder for other characters and other entities that exist in the world that the storytellers are running. makes it harder for them to Act against you uh, other things such as we were talking a moment for the computer skill as it goes up higher and higher there is also a secondary ability of computer hacking if you truly want to focus in on that and then when you're actually when, when you start building up that you get even clever even more clever even more focused and then if you have high computer and high computer hacking then maybe you try to hack into the fbi or the nsa
1: yeah, I wouldn't do that because there's these other groups that like looking for vampires and they usually can find you.
2: Yeah, the technocracy. That's a fun group, but that's that's a slightly different uh, angle than the vampire. Exactly. Wait, no, there's no Fox Mulder in this
1: there could there be could a fox be. molder. Oh, goody. In my, my in my headcanon, there is a fox molder. There,
2: well, that is actually one of the hunter groups is a government-sanctioned... But, again, we're talking greater world of darkness there if you really want to get nerd
1: out. Yeah. We'll do that in a future episode. But, um, yeah, so secondary abilities are very much those abilities that come from... People having specific interests, or they've perhaps specifically studied or mastered a particular area. And so there are a lot fewer of those.
2: Right. And in Pillars, we do like to encourage people to go out and explore some of those. And generally, we as a storyteller will run some form of role play for the person to learn that ability. Maybe they spend some time trying to find a teacher inside their own clan. You know, if they're in Venture and they want to learn about finance, I'm sure they could find some other venture out there. But then maybe that venture wants a favor, a boon, or hey, go and do this thing right now, and then I'll teach you finance. It, it, it allows us, the storyteller, to help involve the story into that, that player and give them a little more of a unique experience while they learn these unique secondary abilities.
0: Yeah, that's one of the reasons that I love Vampire LARP is that it just sort of has that, as we said before, like a, a sandbox quality that just, it's not just cut and dry, you're not running a module. You are part of the story. Absolutely.
1: So the thing with abilities is, like you were saying with some of them, like linguistics, some of these abilities do have specializations. Um, it's sort of like, uh, like me, who has a zillion degrees, and each degree has a specialization. Um, it's the same thing with abilities. So for academics... Um, you can specialize in uh, my personal favorite area, second century North African Christianity, or but that's not
2: specific at all.
1: Not specific <laughs> at all. Every, everybody knows that. I mean, huh. everyone, don't you guys? Um, or you could have a lore's ability that specializes in werewolves, or Clan Ventru, or or, it's, secrets Clan or secrets
2: of Clan Ventru, secrets <laughs> of Clan Ventru,
1: or Egyptian mythology, um, <laughs> secrets of the followers have set (laughs) so yeah each of these uh some of these uh attributes will definitely give you some pretty cool things out of them if you want them to
2: Absolutely. Uh, for example, I mentioned finance a moment ago. One of the great things that learning the ability, the secondary ability finance gives you is it gives you an automatic defense on your money if someone else is trying to attack your money. Either another player or perhaps uh, an enemy political group that the storytellers are running. Just because you know the finance and know the money so well, you have an automatic defense that you're able to maneuver and manipulate your money to make it harder for other people to attack you. Damn, that's useful. Absolutely.
1: So moving on, outside of your abilities, one of the most useful areas to have knowledge of, and probably one of the more confusing ones for new players, is this concept called backgrounds.
2: Ah, backgrounds. So, what
1: are backgrounds, Michael?
2: Backgrounds are. The pieces of your character that they have earned so far in their vampiric life. Uh, again, a, a super old 500-year vampire, you know, they they might well have had vassals and servants and knights that protected them, so they would have had bodyguards and retainers. But a newer vampire might uh, maybe have if if they came from a rich family, they might have more resources they could call on. If they're a super social person, they might have already invested in influences, their ability to get mortals to uh, be manipulated in ways that they want. For example, I at one point played a, a Toreador who had five points of generation, or not, sorry, not generation, of background in elite influences. So he was the guy that knew all of the millionaires. He knew all of the fancy art dealers. Uh, he knew people in City Hall. He knew people in movie studios. He was always able to, whenever it came up, say, ah, I can get you that favor from that millionaire over there.
1: Yeah, and there are a variety of different backgrounds. You'll see generation in here because that's where generation belongs. It is technically a background, and but you'll see other things in there. There's alternate identity and fame. These are backgrounds that kind of that a character can employ uh, to manipulate aspects of their identity. Either they can hide it or they can draw attention to it.
2: They can use contacts to get other information that they themselves might not have been able to access.
0: Right. They also have the, have the backgrounds, more social backgrounds, if you will, the allies, contacts, mentor, or retainer. Right. right.
1: Yes. And those are all going to be people who will help you out. Contacts and allies can be like people you talk to or people who you're friends with who aren't necessarily vampires or even people that are part of your vampire group. They're just people you know.
2: Right. And at least in Pillars of Salt, we allow that if you really want to invest in an ally or, or really want to seek out an unusual contact, as you buy more and more points into that background, you might actually get an ally who is a uh, perhaps a kinfolk to a werewolf. They would have access to a whole bevy of information that you as a vampire would never be able to touch because no one would ever want to talk to you but because you spent time you've spent resources you've spent XP to build up this ability to really have this one guy that trusts you it gives you, it unlocks doors into wildly different information and and powers and abilities that you may never have known of before
1: Exactly And then there are backgrounds that just help you in your day-to-day or excuse me night-to-night living mm-hmm. There are There's the are Herd, Haven, and Resources. Herd is, well, we've discussed it previously. That's the group of people you maintain for food.
2: They're your nom-noms. They're your
1: nom-noms. They're a cookie jar. Um, Haven is, I like that. Cookie it's jar. It's your like cookie that. jar. I like it. Haven is uh, much more your where you sleep during the day. This is this is home. This can be anywhere from a dark, dank, smelly place in a sewer to a mansion in Beverly Hills, and so it really doesn't matter so much. It's really what it's much more what your character wants to live in and. You know, the higher the dots you have in it, the nicer, more secure, safer place it is.
0: Right. And resources is put quite simply, money. money. It is funds available money, to money, you. Money, money, money. Bitch, give me my money. money. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Very greedy bunch here. Yeah, it's it's essentially the um the, the currency of the mortal world that allows you to do things more easily, unless like, Michael's, his character had all that, you know, major, mega influence. Right. I, see, in, in anything like that, I could call in a favor to get a thing
2: done. If I had the resources myself, i used to go, oh, I buy that this month, and then I buy a helicopter next month, and then I buy this other mansion over there next month, and, oh, those, that apartment complex over there that I would just want to occasionally spend the night in, I can buy that next month.
0: Right. So as a player, these are more things that add flavor and, and just meat to your character, that, that allow you to, they sort of express how you, pl- how you view the world, how you move through the world of darkness. And sometimes money solves problems in the game.
1: It really does. It really, really does. Just like in the real world. Oh my gosh. Look how that works. Outside of all these other pieces, there is this very tricky background called influences. And influences, I'm going to be honest, it's just confusing. It really is. But... It's also a very powerful background to have.
2: Right. This this is truly like I was talking about a moment ago, and I keep jumping head on you guys. I'm so sorry. I just I'm so excited to talk about this stuff. The influences are where you call in that favor. They, again, have specializations, like we talked about earlier, with some of the abilities. For every dot in that influence, you have a particular person, point of contact, organization that you have influence over. For example, you might get... Uh, buy a dot and get uh, 20th Century Fox Studios as a specialty. Then you buy a second dot in that influence, and maybe that's ABC Studios, or maybe that's Marvel Studios within the greater Disney Megacorp. Um, th- there are different specialties, different focuses that would have, again, access to different things, the ability to do and get you different pieces. Someone who specialized in LAPD versus specialized uh, LACMA, which is one of the big museums out here. If you needed cops, you don't want to go to the guy that's got specialization at LACMA because he could get you art. You know, He gets get you a nice painting to go on the wall. I uh, like the, paintings. The thieves are then attracted to in steel. Or there's the other guy who is focused on something completely different. He's like, I can get you a squad car to go by your haven. E- every hour, just drive by and make sure there's no spe- specific... Wow,
0: let me try that again with words. Suspicious characters around. So influence, you're saying, is one of those more personal things that, you just looking at it on the sheet, influence one elite, that doesn't mean much, but you, as the player, can go deeper with that one and say, like you said, Fox Studios. Right, it, it, is, it is the
2: touchstone. It tells you a little bit how many things you can do, how often you can tap it. For example, there, there's a... A concept in that I believe you guys talked about in previous podcasts called downtimes.
1: Uh, I don't know if we've reached if we've touched it yet, but yeah.
2: Okay, I- influence is also one of these abilities. Everybody has a standard set of downtimes. Influences give you more downtimes to play around. It allows you to do more things in a given month because it's not you spending your night as a vampire arranging, you know, and planning the party and getting all the details and the guest list going out. So you call up your friend, and he said that you have influence over... And they organize everything, allowing you to now spend more time doing other things.
1: And there is different kinds of influence in the game. There's two specific, general, generic groups. One is elite influence, which is much more of what you think it is. It, it is high society. It is heads of, co- of companies. It is maybe the head of uh, police. It's the mayor. It's the it's the city council. City council.
0: It's everything above board.
1: Exactly. Underworld is different. Underworld is well everything below board. It is the prostitute that's at the corner of your street. It is the d- crooked cop who comes around the neighborhood. It's the gang that cases the pla- the the general neighborhood. It is.
2: It it's is- the mayor. It's the city council member. <laughs> oh wait, 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 wait. wait. Yeah, oh well, yeah, one. it's them too. I might be able to find it on both sides of
1: the yes, line. Yes, <laughs> and it is possible for you as a character to have a Dot and Elite influence and a Dot and Underworld influence, and it could both be in Police.
2: It, it is one of those uh, great abilities and great extras that can really earn you a lot of favors because it's, influence is truly your vampire's way of controlling and manipulating the human world around them. And at times... A, a vampire, especially an elder vampire, the 500 year old vampire, might need a problem solved that they just don't understand how this modern world works. And you as a younger vampire that has built all of these contacts up can go, "Ah, Yes, sir, a, a Elder of the Camarilla, I can solve that problem for you. I, I would be happy to do it if you just, you know, a small, minor favor in the future. And you can really begin to play your background ability to gain you the favors of those vampires that are more powerful, maybe more politically connected in the vampiric world, because you're more connected in the mortal world.
1: Backgrounds, as we said, are the ways your character can interact with the world and get information, Uh, Work with people, have influence on the human world. But every character has things that are great about them and things that are not so great about them. Just like we do, we all have our own merits as human beings and we all have our flaws.
0: What are you talking about? I am perfectly perfect, including perfectly humble.
1: Yeah, okay. You keep thinking that, (laughs) sweetie.
0: (laughs) Nice segue. All right. So, yes, merits and flaws. These are a little bit more of that flavor text that um, typically one finds in the book to say that, uh, like Jen said, you you are either very lucky, but yet you stub your toe every three, third Sunday. I don't know. So what I are, want
1: that flaw. I want
0: that flaw. What are merits and flaws, Michael? Merits and flaws
2: are... Well, first of all, the the number of merit points that you can buy is limited. So you have to be careful with what you want to buy. You can't just buy every single extra great wonderful merit that's out there. You have to be strategic.
1: You only get seven points.
2: I only get seven points, and that is for the life of the character. Um, Merits are those extra things that you are perhaps a little extra focused on. Uh, For example, there's a great merit. We were talking about a dancer earlier. There's a great merit called Artist's Blessing which gives you free ability dots in a performance or craft skill. So if you if your character wanted to be that, for one merit point, you can actually get three dots in performance. So you can really make yourself this fantastic dancer using just this extra little bit of merit. Merits also, if you are a magic vampire, or perhaps you are uh, a Nosferatu that wants to hide in the shadows, there are other merits that allow you to you know, you make your magic stronger, or give you extra points in the test pool for your magic ability, others will make that Nosferatu even more difficult to see no matter how many people you have with heightened senses on the other side trying to find him.
0: Right, and then the downside are the flaws. Yes, those are the, oh, I stub my toe every third Sunday. (laughs) Or, as it says, uh, you're nearsighted.
1: Or, yeah, you are slow healing. Uh, A lot of these flaws are... I find them very interesting as a player. I'm just going to be honest. I love flaws as a player.
0: Oh yeah, truly. In stories, flaws really make the character identifiable,
1: and it ad- adds to the role-playing experience. Because if you're playing a character who's nearsighted, you and you're not, which I wish I wasn't in real life. You know, suddenly you have to wear glasses, or you can't you can't be the expert marksman because you're blind as a bat.
2: The, the flaws are a great and wonderful way to have role play. Sometimes people will take them as sort of their own um, more interior landscape because maybe they don't want to let out to other players that oh, I have the secret weakness of I'm uh, hard of hearing perhaps is, is one of those flaws. Uh, maybe they just always play off the oh, I'm sorry, I just didn't hear you the, the room is too noisy or something. The, the, it might lead to a, a player's rich internal landscape, but some of them are also like, oh, Awkward mobility, I have, my character has something wrong with their leg, and that a lot, you know, I as the player can then walk with a limp, or maybe walk with a cane to get myself moving around, and it can really help you delve into the life of that character.
1: Or there's certain flaws like addiction, where you, that can affect the entire storyline of a character and their plot. If they are, if they have an addiction, this can feed into why they're doing the things in game that they're doing.
0: Right, or like we spoke about in being a vampire in the world of darkness, you have blunted fangs, where you don't have those nifty little, you know, blah. I want to suck you blood. You have the sharp teeth. The sharp, pointy, nasty teeth. Right. And vampires, they can jump so. No, never mind. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs>
1: I love a good Monty Python reference.
2: And and one other thing I want to say about flaws and merits is, in in storytelling, and we especially see it in movies, uh, fantasy novels, uh, typically a lot on the heroic, but also just in the the antiheroes as well. the The things that they are good at, or the flaws that they have, that they want to overcome, are often huge drivers for those characters. They would they're what make the story compelling. And to be able to now experience that, being able to see this character struggle with their addiction or their nearsightedness, it's, yeah, okay, maybe you can make a a, a joke about it and just go off, but it it truly can make a a compelling arc. And and. If you have a flaw that no one else knows that you have, you go all the way through the arc. And then at that final decision moment, at Frodo, standing in Mordor, ready to drop the ring of power into the lava, suddenly your flaw kicks in and you grasp that ring of power instead of dropping it into the lava. It, it, it
0: can change that whole story for you in an instant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really makes for compelling storytelling.
1: So now... As we're looking through our sheet, we get to the part that most everybody likes. This is everybody's favorite part of the character sheet. That's and- right. <laughs> Grab <laughs> your
0: capes and cowls, everybody.
1: This is your disciplines. What makes you special and unique as a vampire?
0: Yes, those lovely little, as Michael said at the very top, the look into my to eyes. my eyes. Yes, yes. These are not the vampires you're looking for. <laughs>
1: Well, actually they are, but uh, disciplines are called disciplines because, well, they require you to practice and work at them to be able to master and discipline yourself enough to learn how to use these powers. These are your gifts as vampires. As we've mentioned in previous podcasts, vampires have a certain sort of magic in their blood and that some of them are able to pick up intuitively certain abilities they can use their blood to, with certain powers that they're able to do because they're vampires so these are some of these powers are going to be more innate to a vampire than others and as we go through the clans we're going to actually discuss each of those a little bit more and kind of delve into the individual disciplines a little bit more uh this is going to be just a very brief overview but um some will be ones that a vampire will pick up on very Quickly, because of the clan that they're a part of, others are going to be ones that they can't, and they will not be able to learn those unless they have uh, a teacher from another clan to be able to help them. So the most we have a whole group of of the most common disciplines, but we've kind of loosely uh, uh, we have kind of loosely uh, categorized categorized them in terms of. We have those that are much more about some of our physical, uh, the physical abilities of vampires. So that would include ones like celerity and fortitude and Potence. potence. Those are things that a vampire can physically do. So celerity is super speed
2: right the if you think about the the vampire and the you know, you see the movie and the person looks at the vampire and they're at you know far end of the long room and then they glance to the side and they glance back and the vampire is right in their face. That's the example of celerity of that vampire covering all of that distance, running moving that fast to get
0: right in your face as quickly as possible
1: exactly, exactly. fortitude is uh, supernatural stamina
0: that's one of my personal favorites that's you can take that shotgun blast to the face and just kind of shrug it off. Yep.
1: Exactly. And potence is supernatural strength.
2: Right. It's you, you are able to manipulate the, the blood within your body to augment the muscles, to take your fist and drive it straight through a solid steel wall so that you can actually break in and you know, maybe you're gonna rob the place, or especially useful if you are punching another vampire, the same fist that will go through a steel wall is probably gonna go through the vampire's head. Right.
1: Exactly. Um some of them are going to be much more social based. Presence is one of the big ones for that one.
0: Absolutely. The ability for awe, entrancement, just sort of, hey, you like me, I'm a nice guy. When, you know, just the other second ago you wanted to spit in my face. And the the great thing, and, and going back to what you said a moment ago about the more
2: you discipline yourself, the more you train yourself, the, the stronger the ability is. Presence is a great example of that. At the, the first kind of level of it, you have this ability called awe, which is a sort of I, I'm using the power of my blood to capture the attention of everyone in the room. But by the time I have learned and studied and I'm at the fifth level of presence, it's not only, hey, I have your attention in the room, but I am so beautiful, I am so stunning, I am so captivating that not only are you paying attention to me, but you also don't want to attack me. You want to deal friendly with me. You want to, uh, there actually are strictures mechanically that means you can't even attack me. So if I if I activate that level of power, I, I'm so much more. You're so much more awestruck than just using awe.
1: And then there's some who that are much more mentally focused. Uh, Dominate is one of those abilities that
0: look into my eyes. Yes. I will tell you what to do. This is definitely the one that messes with memories. Yes, and, and command. Th- that is
1: the ability of a vampire to force their will on another on another person's mind. Uh, but another one is obfuscate.
0: Yes, obfuscate. So you can hide in the shadows.
1: Yes. Basically, you're f- rather than forcing your will on another person's mind, you're, ap- ap- you're clouding yourself from another person's mind
2: right it's uh the the Nosferatu movie way back in the day it's, they always cling to shadows because uh, at least in the Nosferatu clan uh, they're you know horrid horrendous beings they they, they, they they want to get away from you be be invisible to your eyes so their ability and obfuscate allows them to do that and still walk in the mortal world
1: the shadow knows. I love The Shadow. I think The Shadow is like when it... It's a, a sadly not represented enough old radio show, and it's perfect for uh, for obfuscate. If you've ever seen that cheesy Alec Baldwin movie, uh, that that's pretty obfuscating. Hey,
2: it was cheesy, but it was good. It was a good movie. I stand by I The Shadow. I do too. It, it was kind of Velveeta-level cheesy.
1: I like Velveeta True. sometimes. Yes, it was. I own this. I own this. Um, and then there's some powers that are... They are the classic powers that uh, vampires have had you know we see them in literature animalism is one protean is another
0: yes animalism is what allows you to speak to and command animals of the the dark creatures of the earth and protean is the shape-shifting ability the seeing in the dark becoming that wolf or bat you know bat that's the stereotype At, and again for uh, animalism is a great
2: example of at the first level, it's, yeah, you can talk to the the, the squirrel or the bird or the, or the wolf that's walking by and gaining information from them. When you get to that higher level of animalism, you've spent more to discipline yourself, you can actually begin to communicate and control and quell the beast in another vampire. So it doesn't just mean, oh, I'm controlling the squirrel anymore. It's, I'm affecting you.
1: Exactly. And then the one discipline that is perhaps the the oddest but the most can be certainly the most useful is aspects which is aspects is great i love aspects aspects such a great discipline it is basically extrasensory perception it is uh the ability to tap into people's minds to go into the astral plane to see auras to um be able to feel emotions on objects left behind it's
2: and and again starts at the very first level being heightened senses it's your your you can see a little farther you can hear a little better you can smell a little clearer so you you just all your normal senses are heightened a little but by the time you get up to you know the fourth and fifth level of the discipline you're seeing auras you're getting emotions off of objects you can You know, use your mind to telepathically reach out to another person. You can send your astral form out into the world, leaving your body safe at home, protected in your haven, and still observe things that are happening 50 miles away.
1: It, yeah, it's certainly one of the cooler uh, and also one of the a little bit more out there vampire, vampiric disciplines. <laughs> but these uh, these disciplines we just named, these are the most common disciplines you'll see amongst vampires. Some of these may be special purviews of certain clans. Protean, for example, is the gangrel specialty. Um, but certainly other clans that aren't gangrel could be potentially learn protean so all these uh all these disciplines we just named are ones that you will commonly find amongst vampires but then there are some disciplines that aren't particularly common and that's because they're specific to the clans that practice them and they're not usually practiced outside of the clan that that uses it so for example one of the primary ones we'll run into uh Quite a bit. It, well, that you'll run into in most LARPs is quietus.
2: Yes, that is one of the true specialties of the Asimite clans. Who are, uh, as you guys get into clans further down the road, they, they are the assassins of the vampiric world. Or sometimes they can't. Not
1: always assassins. Not always. I have a bone to pick on that. We'll wait until we get to Clan Asimite. <laughs> Asimite.
2: I, I, I'd like to be back for that conversation. Oh, we will to totally have you back side. for
1: that. You can see Jen rant for a while. <laughs> So uh, quietus is one. Another one you'll run into commonly in Laval Arps is dementation, which is the gift of the well, maybe gift of the Malkavians. This is a discipline that stirs up the madness in other in other people.
0: Yes, it also not just madness, but it can deal with fears and you know, doubts. It's would you say it's a social ability or more mental?
2: I, I believe mechanically it comes off of the mental test pool. I could be wrong about that, but I believe it comes off mental. But, yeah, it, it can manipulate emotions. It can manipulate minds. So it it, it it really is one of those that it can hit you both ways. Uh, again, not mechanically. But it, it, it the, the role play that you experience after you've been hit with it, um, if I can tell a story real quick, I, I had this great moment uh, playing a while back, and... Uh, my character got in a, a fight in Elysia, which is a, a bad thing. Bad. Uh, bad. Very bad thing. And I got hit by Malkavian, who used dementation to really kind of calm and mellow out my character. Well, another character also got hit with it the next turn, and then that character and I, we were both improvisers through uh, a couple of the different programs, which is how I met him in the first place. We just started playing off this like really low key, mellow. Hey man, I'm I'm so sorry I got in a fight with you. I'm so sorry I got in a fight with you. I didn't mean, I didn't mean. I. It was it was a great, and the the entire rest of the room had to break character and laugh at what we were doing because they it was so, it was so much fun to play.
1: Did you guys go out for like vampiric munchies afterwards, like? hit up a taco bell at 3am and
2: we have the uh the cashier there was very tasty
1: i bet they were so So, vampire joke um so there are a couple other uh disciplines that depending on the game you're playing in you won't necessarily see a lot of the time one of the ones that um is very rare for you to ever see in a game is one called chemistry And that is the discipline used by a particular clan called the Ravnos, who we'll get into at a later date. But they're not a very common clan to run into, hence why you won't see it very often. But this allows you, this particular discipline allows you to create illusions that look real.
2: Yeah, I've only ever seen one character have it.
1: Yeah, it's very rare. And then uptenebration, which, again, depends on the game you're playing. You may or may not see it. Um, if you're playing in a Sabbat game, you'll see it a lot. If you're not playing in a Sabot game, you'll probably see it very rarely. This is the discipline that is, is the hallmark of Clan Lasombra, and they actually use it to manipulate shadows.
2: Absolutely. Yep. It's it's what we do in shadows. It's,
1: it is what you do in shadow. I knew you were going to okay. get that in there. It, it's a pretty sick discipline, and it's very ill, Ill understood outside of Clan Lysambra. And that's how they. And like that's it. how they like it. But when you see it, it, it as a character, it will scare the piss out of you. So it's it's pretty dangerous.
0: The next category is my particular favorite. It is what we consider the magical or mystical disciplines. There are a couple of clans that have a penchant for this sort yes, of they thing. Do. The one that you will definitely run in the most uh, is the Pillar of the Camarilla. <laughs> The Clanchremer,
2: uh huh,
0: sure, totally pillars above board. They love the
2: Camarilla. Uh-huh.
0: Nothing to see here. Don't mind that pin pricking your hand to sign it in blood. Don't worry. We
1: absolutely follow the the laws of the Camarilla. What are you talking about?
0: That's right. Uh, and this ability that they possess is c- commonly called tr- um, thaumaturgy. Yeah. It's just basically blood magic, but there's a lot of levels to it.
1: And we'll get more into it when we explore Clan Tremere a little bit more. But Thaumaturgy is perhaps one of the... Well, it's definitely the hallmark of Clan Tremere, but unlike a lot of the other blood magics, this is a lot more adaptable and structured. So there's a lot of crazy things that Thaumaturgy can do that not every blood magic user can do. But there are other forms of blood magic that aren't Clay and Tremere.
0: This is one of the things that, again, goes into character and flavor of the World of Darkness is the Tremere and their thaumaturgy is very, what you imagine, European-based, alchemical, the old wizard in the robe kind of idea. Harry Potter. You're a wizard, Harry. And so, in such, it has a cultural hallmark. These other clans, they also have the same thing. Um, there's the, what is this, Durinkai? Durinkai. Which the Asamites practice, and it's steeped in their traditions and mm-hmm. culture. And then there's Setite sorcery, which is the followers of Set. Again, their almost religious like uh, culture that right. they possess. And then the, the pesky thorn in everybody's side the na- necromancy and the Giovanni. What you talking about? Giovanni are awesome. Oh, sure. Yes. They'll make a deal for you anytime. (laughs) But uh, watch out. There's probably a ghost following you home.
1: That's only because they, you you know, it's the ghost of their second cousin who's also their sister or, wait, how's that working, Clan Giovanni? Hey,
0: hey, hey. hey. We don't need to go there. No, no. Three times removed. Fair game. That's all I'm saying.
1: saying. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Blood Magic is. It's a very rare thing to have if you are not a part of one of those clans. Those clans, those four in particular, guard their blood magic secrets very dearly. Yeah. There are a few other clans uh, and bloodlines out there who might practice it, um, but they're very rare indeed. Um, most vampires will not have blood magic, and they won't be able to have access to it.
2: Right, and, and sort of the idea there is it takes... Decades and centuries to truly learn and discipline yourself into the high levels of these magic. The, the Tremere are only really only able to do it because they have so much magic already steeped into them. They recruit uh, from people that already have at least some magical talent. They're able to kind of learn and, and foster that ability. That you know of. That you know of. Uh, it, is, it, it is truly a, a
0: rare, rare ability to have. Right. And moving on, this brings us to the near bottom of the character sheet where you've got, what what are these things? Blood, willpower, what what are all these pools? What what does this mean? So, as you might
2: imagine, blood is very uh, important to a vampire. And the different generation, as we talked about way back at the beginning, gives you different amounts of blood and your ability to... uh, Use the potency of the blood that you have stored within your body to do these things like uh, use your celerity, use use your fortitude, other abilities, etc. The blood pool is essentially how many uses of blood you can get out of the blood you currently have stored within your body. And you, again, replenish these by going out and feeding from either your herd or maybe you go out and do risky in that, uh, like you talked about earlier, morning backgrounds, that prostitute on the corner. Maybe you're feeding off of her, but you might get caught while doing that. So there, there's always the, the danger there. But it allows you to refresh, to bring in
0: more blood, so you're able to do more things in that world. Okay, so blood pool is essentially the amount of ab- bil- the, the uh- Blood that you have at your disposal to do... Activate your abilities. Activate your abilities. Your disciplines, On a yes.
2: nightly basis, what have you. Right. right. And, and mechanically, uh, a neonate will have a blood pool of 10, which means they can really only do 10 things, but someone that has five dots in generation that is that 500-year-old vampire, they, they can use their blood much more efficiently, and they can get 40 uses, or 30 uses, a lot of uses <laughs> out of uh, out of the, the blood that they have in their body. Even if they might physically be the same size as the other person, they can just use it that much more efficiency because their, their ability to use it is that much more potent. Right. And what is willpower? Ah, uh, willpower. Let's say that vampire is, you know, looking through my eyes. I will tell you what to do. But you want to try to resist that person. You're going to use your willpower to try to break that person's control. So in a, in a test where the other vampire is going to try to control me, he's going to use his mental plus his intimidation to create his pool, his test pool. I'm going to use my mental plus my willpower to try to resist. So we're going to compare numbers, and then if I fail that test, I can Activate one of my willpower to give myself a retest. It's like no, no, no. I, I really can't. I'm, I'm using all of my mental energy to try to really resist this command. So I activate my willpower, of which you're limited to six in a given uh, game cycle. So it's not just blood pool where it can be refreshed in the night. Willpower, it only refreshes on a monthly game to game cycle. So it's much more precious then. Indeed, much
0: more precious. <laughs> well, yeah.
2: Sorry, I had a, I had the photo reference earlier. I had to give that one. No, no, well remembered. Um. So yeah. So so willpower really allow. It's that mental fortitude, strength to either really push your
0: control onto another person or really try to resist their control. Okay. And now, Jen, this is something that's sort of it goes along with backgrounds, influence, um, humanity, or path. This can be quite murky. What is this? Oh yes, Jen. Please tell us. Oh yay!
1: So. Every vampire, we've discussed this before, every vampire is constantly fighting against the beast. Um, remember, we've discussed this. Vampires are not human in the same sense as, well, the three of us sitting here around the table. That you know of? Well, I have, I have wonders about Michael, frankly, but, you know.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, again, I said I have wonders about Michael.
2: What? I'm perfectly innocent over here moving on
1: um so every vampire is fighting against uh that bestial urge and to kind of help them in as they're navigating this bestial urge they often will follow a code of ethics um just their moral code by which they live by it's their Philosophy on how to deal with this existence. Humanity is probably the most common one, especially if you're going to be playing in the Camarilla. Um, it's basically you're you're living by some of the same moral codes as humans do. Um, it's the same morality as most of humanity, maybe a little bit more callous. Um, but that's it's sort of the baseline, and this is particularly common for the younger vampires because younger vampires were were Humans just like, I don't know, five minutes ago. So they haven't forgotten what it means to be human. Older vampires often struggle, though, with this. Um, so as you will see on your sheet, you will have a series of dots that list your humanity rating. The more dots you have in humanity, the closer you are to your humane self. The fewer dots you have the less close you are to your humane self and the closer you are to your bestial self. The key is you want to keep that number high (laughs) and not have it go low, but you live in a world where, well, it's the world of darkness. Bad shit happens. Things are going to occur. You're going to do that awful, horrendous bestial vampiric thing and that's going to test your humanity and over centuries and over time it'll start to erode and that number is going to get lower and lower and lower and that's going to be a key source of conflict for your character in terms of their psyche
0: absolutely that's this is one of the things again as a as a player it really adds that that level of You know, ambiguity to a decision, a moral gray area that you're going to have to make a decision for or and you may be forced to make it as since we have story time. uh, As what happened to one of my characters is that I had to I was forced to kill another vampire. It was it was him or I. And I had to make a morality check based on that because I killed someone. And it was and but even though it was self defense it was still something that was forced upon me and and I lost, and so that brought me down a little bit in the humanity rating as like as you said, shit happens, it's the world of darkness. you know things start weighing you down exactly i I really
2: like because even human morality changes over time. I, I really like it when a player gets into the mindset of their character. You know, if they were a 1920s gangster, their sense of what was a human ethical moral issue at that time, and compared to someone that was a just turned to a vampire two years ago, they're gonna have a wildly different. Like, oh yeah, if, if sometimes there's a guy who's a problem and the guy's got to be taken care of, and that person, that 1920s vampire. It, it, it's the normal way of humanly thinking to them, but a person who was just turned a year ago would be like, what, you, you actually want to pull a gun on someone? What are you talking about? That's crazy! That, that's such a huge sin, and that, that, that's outside of my ethical structure. But if if a player can give me a good RP reason and really play that up as to why their character thinks it's perfectly okay to do that, as a storyteller, I, I, I love moments like that. I'm really impressed when a player will do something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, those are good. So
1: every so often you'll run across a character and you as a new player probably will not be playing this, but you may rep- run across another player who is. And they are not a humane vampire. What do <clears> we <throat> mean by that? Well, they are following what is called a path of enlightenment. Oh. Ah.
0: Right. This is the code of ethics that as you said that a vampire has to follow as, in order to keep control. On a nightly basis, they they they've left humanity behind because it just it doesn't work for them. But yet they can't just be running around wholesale, you know, monster of the night. They have to rein the beast in somehow. Exactly.
1: So over the many many centuries of vampiric existence, uh, different vampires have come up diff- with different philosophical um, paths, and I and I stress philosophical because these are philosophies. These are ways that. Different vampires, sometimes as individuals, often as groups, have come together to try and create ways to cope with the nature of vampiric existence. And so there's different ones, and we're not going to go into them in this podcast, but sometimes you'll run across that. And they are not humane in, in, in any stretch of the imagination. Sometimes things that would horrify a humane vampire, say like pulling a gun on somebody, they would just be like, and... I mean, that's not the question they're asking. So it's it adds to the flavor and the color of the vampiric world when you realize that they're, not everybody is going to think the same way that a human does.
2: Right. And if you're playing in a Camarilla Chronicle, like the Pillars Assault game, you're most of the players there, their vampires are going to be on paths of humanity. But if you're playing into a Sabbat game... If you have, it would be the rare character that would be on Path of Humanity at a Sabat game, just because the ideology is so vastly different. They're not trying to control their beast anymore, like you would on Path of Humanity and into Camarilla.
1: Exactly. And at the end of the day, all of this, whether you're doing Path of Humanity or a pa- another Path of Enlightenment, all all of it is really at its heart the effort to try and control the beast. If you lose that effort and you will enter into a state of what is called wassail, in which your beast is permanently taking over your mind. You will become a slavering, bloodthirsty monster. There is is no way to recover for 99.9% of vampires. There's one vampire out there who is known to have recovered from it. Um, But she's the exception and not the norm. Yeah um it is it is a horrible horrific existence everything that was you is gone
2: and and when that happens in game if, you, if your character were to uh, succumb to that that that's generally you know player death or, or character death it, it's the you have now ended that story arc and you as a player are, are then brought over and you create a new character right simple as that
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly so speaking of the beast what in the world are beast traits
2: Beast, beast traits are always one of those things of that they come into play, and every time they come into play, I reopened my player's manual, and I reread it just to make sure I have I understand it at that moment. But they are, at, at, at its core level, they are how strong your beast is and how, how many hooks your beast has in you at that moment. How much it can try to control you, how much it can try to claw its way out and, uh, uh, consume your rational mind.
1: Exactly. And for some vampires, like the gang girl, the beast is always going to be a little bit more on the surface than other vampires who try to subsume it more. But there are times when the beast gets out. It's a little like, uh more Marvel references, it's a little like the Incredible Hulk. It's like, you're cool, you're cool, now you're a raging green, like, anger machine. Vampire smash! Exactly! So... <laughs> I think we just broke John now. Um, so once that happens, that actually leaves something of a mark on the vampire themselves,
2: right? And the the beast traits play into the idea of if you're uh, if you commit sins against your path of humanity or whatever path of enlightenment you are, and you reduce your humanity or or, or your 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 whatever your ethical standards are. It, that that weakens you against the beast. That allows, if there are more beast traits, the, the check to try to resist losing uh, your humanity if you get caught in a self-defense situation. Um, you you have a, a lower test pool to test against. You have a greater chance of losing that which connects you to humanity,
0: which makes your beast stronger and closer to that edge. Right. Now, looking at the sheet. There are levels to the the beast trait pool. As a player, how do what how does that factor in? Like what like say that you have lost you, you've gained one beast trait. What does that do for you or to you?
2: It in of itself it doesn't do much at the moment. As you gain more beast traits or if you gain a lot of beast traits because you commit a particularly grievous sin, that's when you start testing against to see if you lose your humanity or not. I, I believe it's—and this is, again, one of the reasons why I check the book every time I start talking about beast traits. If you have five beast traits, you have to make a test to see if you lose your humanity or not at that time. So, it, it, again, it, it doesn't immediately— Control as the oh, my character's. I have one beast trait, my character's completely out of control. But it, it's that slow build, it's that gradual that, that that beast is just a little bit stronger inside of you. And as it grows to levels two, three, four, and five, that beast can
0: lash out at your character.
1: Vampire smash,
0: yes, <laughs> smash. Okay, and uh, moving on, we've got the the health pool. What are what's what are the health levels? I mean, it's pretty self explanatory. But let's go ahead and right, right.
2: health levels. Like if, if you ever played a, a video game or D D or anything like that, the the idea of hit points. Um, the you know a uh, uh, a fighter might have a hundred million hit points. Uh, a wizard is only going to have twelve. It uh, vampire they. they they change it around a little bit, and all vampires, unless there are, there are again, specific flaws and traits, uh, merits that you can take to change it a little, on, a little bit, but every vampire is going to have nine health levels. Uh, and they're divided into three different tracks. And as you take more damage, and more and more tracks get taken up with wound penalties, you start losing things, like maybe you can't run as fast because you've now lost your... Um, uh, your your sort of your uh, minor abilities to do, uh, and once you get all nine of those hit levels are are damaged, you've essentially lost all your hit points. You can actually fall into torpor or be
0: completely destroyed at that time. Wow. Okay. So keep it's good to keep track of that.
2: Absolutely. It's actually one of the things it's always on every character sheet as you take a a punch earlier in the evening um, as you maybe get shot on your way from point A to point B you have to keep track of these things because it also requires resources to heal and if you take... There's the normal lethal damage, like, oh, I've shot you with a gun, and you take two points of damage, let's just say. Um, you can spend blood to help heal yourself, but if I attack you with a flamethrower, and you take two points of aggravated damage, you can't just immediately heal out of that. It's your, your flesh is so destroyed and damaged, it can take nights to recover that damage. So if there is a particular event you know, in your character's life tonight that causes a few points of damage, you might have that damage for a few nights. So if you get attacked again tomorrow night and the night after and the night after, which is a great way if you're attacking another player is to send your, uh, your, your minions, your retainers, your influences out there to really harass and harry a person over several nights. It weakens them over time and the person can't always recover quickly.
1: Not that I've ever done that in game because that's a mean, horrible thing to do.
2: No, hold on.
0: Of I'm, r- not. I'm writing this down. Take uh, what, what was that again?
1: <laughs> Never have done that in, in game ever. No,
0: no, no. Nobody take notes on that
1: ever. So, um, um, one thing we wanted to cover that isn't on the uh, the character sheet in the book, but I kind of feel it's important because this does come up in game sometimes is derangements. Um, sometimes, and this isn't a pool per se. But it's something to keep in mind, if you have if you have a character that has a derangement or is hit by a Malkavian with a mean streak, and they give you a derangement,
2: that's never happened to me.
1: N- no, never. Um, it's something you should also keep track of, because those derangements are going to affect you. Say you have a Malkavian who has given you a derangement that makes you. Uh, OCD and want to count things, which is a very classic vampire derangement in literature. Then the minute someone throws a box of nails at your head, you're not busy in the middle of that fight. You're busy counting the nails on the ground.
0: One nail. Ah, ah, ah. Ah,
1: ah. Two, two nails, I left ah. that door so wide open. But Walking right yeah, through your it. Your derangements are going to affect you on a very real level. So if you have them, if you suddenly... Develop them in game, and it's not—it's not something your character is built with. You do want to keep track of that,
2: right? And and going back and and really, one of the things through all of this character sheet is a lot of these can help inform your role play. So if you have that OCD level need to count, that informs your role play. The character name on the sheet informs your role play. The backgrounds—you know, whether you're a high influence person or maybe you've got a lot of money or you got a lot of allies—it all. Affects your role playing and, and informs the player on all these little things, these little quirks, because a, a, a LARP, a live action role play is all about the role play. It's how you get in there with another player and how you act and all of these things on the
0: character sheet help inform that. Absolutely. That, yeah, that's exactly why we're doing the podcast is to keep that information, get it out there.
1: And this is, like Michael said, this should be used as sort of the framework. It's the baseline. It is the things that you keep in the back of your head to know just, like, how a character operates in this world, in this game, in this framework. But that's not everything that is your character.
0: Right. Yeah. You, as with anything, the more you play it, the longer you play it, things are going to change. This is the base. You learn new things. You have new disciplines. You find new friends. You make allies. Right. And you can,
2: over the course of the game, spend uh, experience points to increase and change these abilities. Maybe you started and you thought you wanted to really play this social character who knew everything, but over time you realize... That or the character realizes that it's a darker, meaner world out there. So they realize that they got to get tough or die. So over time, you spend that experience points increasing your physical traits. Well, that's a a shift, a change in the character and the change in the role play that goes with it.
0: Absolutely.
1: Exactly. And really, you should just use this as a guideline. I mean, you're going to have other pieces that are going to inform your character. Your character histories often are huge are huge informative pieces and in terms of the rich internal landscape of who your character is where they came from why they are the way they are and sometimes the character sheets reflect that history of the character in the past but will shift and change as your character has more experiences in the game um your clan and and your sect and all the politics that go with that those are all going to change and shift things that happen to you
2: absolutely um and uh, to give a completely shameless plug for Pillars of Salt, the game that I'm a storyteller for, uh, that plays every once a month in Los Angeles. I, I, I always when I get new players coming in, I always tell them to read that history, that character history. It's generally only a few paragraphs at, at least. Unless to start. I'm writing and it,
1: then it's usually a page.
2: True. The but it gives you the idea of the history, um, and and I I always get I always suggest that players really focus on that backstory and looking at these pieces that inform their role play. because if they are if they get if they walk in on their first game and 10 minutes later they're attacked by someone, I as the staff are going to be right there to help them with all of the mechanics, all of the numbers on their character sheet. but they're the ones that are in the driver's seat, To get to that fight in the first place. To get to that conflict or get to that success. Because they're in control of the role play. And I always, always push players, get into the role play. Read the backstory. Get an idea of what is everything on your character sheet. And see how that role plays or how it informs your role play. But don't worry necessarily about the math. I'll be there on a game day. There will be other storytellers there on a game day to help you with the math. You enjoy the
0: role exactly. play, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: As much as we would love to know everything about everything, none none of us is, even the most experienced role players are gonna be like, Oh my gosh, wait. Is uh is dementation a mental or a social based discipline? <laughs> you know, we're all gonna do it because there is so much information to know. it, it your real goal should just be to go in there to have fun to play your character. And if you hit a hang up with a with your character sheet and you're like, I really don't know what my test pool is, ask. It's there's no harm in asking. Most of us are pretty nice people out there. We will completely love to help you. And um, and on that note, if you want to understand a little bit more about your dis- your character sheet and how it works. There is the main books that you can use. We're basic we cover mostly a LARP based character sheet today, so you can read up on. Uh, we're using BNS and Pillars of Assault, the By Night Studios Mind's Eye Theater book. But um, depend, whatever game you're playing, if you're playing a tabletop game, you know, read up on your Vampire 20th edition. Um, go read your standard base book, it will have all the information in there. And if you don't understand it, feel free to come and ask i know i sometimes get lost in the mechanical minutiae because it's it's hard it's let's be honest it is hard trying to understand a a concrete that is a concrete idea that is turned into a a number essentially it's not easy
0: this is a collaborative effort and we're all here for the game we all want to make sure everybody's having a good time ourselves included and from the, the storyteller perspective as well, it's
2: I, I have played in a lot of games. I have run a lot of games, not just Vampire, but D&D and all, all these other things out there. There are so many rules that are floating around in a, a storyteller's head and in a player's head. It's hard to keep track of times. So there there are absolutely times where pulling out the book and, and you know I, as a storyteller, have to go and pull up the book because it's like, all right, I remember a year and a half ago I was asked a similar question, but I got to figure this out now. So I... I don't worry about getting intimidated by oh the book is so great or oh I have to know the particular thing. Come in there, aim for the role play, have fun with it, and you know let let us wor- let the, the storytellers
0: worry about the mechanics at least at the start. Absolutely. Well, all right, everybody, we did it. We made it through a character Yay. sheet, fast and furious yes. in here. Yes. we did
1: it fastly and furiously. <laughs> I right. feel like is right. still here.
0: There's still a lot more uh, to cover, but obviously we'll have future episodes in the podcast for that. Also, we will have um, story storytellers' corner or ST corner is going to be a regular segment. STC, yeah, you know oh me. My wow. What? Wow, what? you
1: were just dropping. Okay, some that just happened. pop.
0: yo, 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 yo. So we're gonna use those ST corners to uh, dive into the more tips and tricks that that. That we've learned, that our storytellers have learned um, to help you navigate the game and, and continue focusing on that role play and just sort of so you're not scared by the mechanic. That's, that's the whole point of this.
2: Yeah, mechanics should not scare you away or worry about, oh, these all these other people know it's so much better than me. It's uh, No, come in and enjoy the role play. It's live action role play, not live action do math on your character sheet while other people are looking at you and you're really nervous about it. No, no, it's about the role play. That's right. This
0: is a munchkin free zone.
1: I can make a munchkin joke, but that'd be really horrible and I would be an awful human being.
0: I got a lollipop. I,
1: well, I'm going to hurt you so bad. <laughs>
2: I would like to point that I'm Michael Steinbach, and I did not make any of the jokes related to that segment.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this wonderful episode. I'm sure I hope that you got a lot of information out of it and find it very useful. And thank you, Michael, for stopping by. Of course, I'm happy to be here. And if anyone out there is listening and
2: wants to get more into role play and is in the greater Los Angeles area, you can find Pillars of Salt through Facebook just by clicking for Pillars of Salt. And uh, come and join the group and I will probably actually be the first person to chat with you in the game unless you actually know someone already playing it. Yes,
0: Michael is very approachable, he's a very nice guy. Please you know, Aww, find the page Pillars of Salt on Facebook.
1: And if you want to get a hold of our lovely podcast, we can be reached at podcast by night on Facebook. You can also find us at by night podcast on Twitter, or you can email us directly at podcast by night at gmail.com.
0: All right. Thanks for joining us and be sure to stick around next week. We will have another episode for you to put in those ears.
1: Yes, we are going to be covering finally the uh, the sects of vi- vampires that sex is. S E C T S. That's right. Oh,
0: okay. Now I. Get I told
1: it. you, no vampire nuki.
0: That's right. No sexy times. We are, we will finally be telling you sexy about sexy times, not what, sexy <laughs> times. We will finally be letting you know what the Camarilla is, who the Sabbat are, the Anarchs, the Independents, and why they you know they really should get along, but they don't because ideologies.
1: Isn't that just always the way? If it only is. we could all learn to get to work together and just you know get along.
0: Oh, kumbaya. Well, that's the nature of the jihad for you. That's true. All right, well, until next time. I'm John. I'm Jen. And I'm special guest Michael. Woohoo. All right, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later.
1: Bye. Bye.